Amen. Hey, I'm Cameron. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. It's good to be with you all this morning. If you would be turning in your, plot, in your copies of Scripture to Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. And as you're turning there, I want to give a hearty thank you to Clay Oldham for providing coffee for our church this morning. Um, I heard many people say with excitement, oh, coffee's back. Uh, and so uh, that is a good thing. And Jacob Bettis is actually going to be helping him with that as well uh, in the future. And so uh, hearty thank you to them for taking that back on. Um, they will be putting it away before worship starts. So there's no reason for you to take a lap through the lobby to see if there's possibility of a refill. Uh, and so, uh, so we'd like for you to stay in here with the rest of us, uh, if you don't mind. All right, uh, let's read God's word. This is Romans 15, 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with or carry the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I want to pause for just a second and uh, talk a little bit about our, our liturgy. Uh, now, you notice that this is the only passage for which we sit. We stand for all the other passages. And in many churches and traditions, you would stand for the reading of God's word even here. The reason that we don't hear is because you can rest and hear God's word after the assurance of pardon because you're forgiven. And you get to receive that word as one who is receiving a hospitable and good gift. Now, other churches do it for different reasons, and those reasons are legitimate as well. But this is why we have you sit. And then one of the reasons that we then respond with this is the reading of God's word, and then you say thanks be to God is we are actually acknowledging that even more important than the sermon itself, what I'm about to do is to see through a glass darkly, right? I'm, I'm not authoritative in full. I, you shouldn't listen to me just because I'm saying it. You should look to God's word and make sure that what you're hearing is in fact true according to God's word, which is why we can say amen or thanks be to God to his word being read because it is sufficient in and of itself. You may then have a follow-up question, well, then why do this sermon? Well, that's where Romans 10 came in, uh, and it says, unless you hear, uh, unless one goes and preaches, it, it's, it makes it difficult. And so uh, that's one of the reasons for that, if, if, if in fact you had not previously heard that before as to why we do that. All right, now back to God's Word uh, in Romans 15. Uh, let me give you the key truth that I want you to walk away with this morning, that God calls us to welcome others for their good, church harmony, and his glory, because Jesus has done the same for us. Let me read that again. God calls us to welcome others for their good, church harmony, and his glory, because Jesus has done the same 
for us. And the question that I have to open the sermon is this. What kind of guest were you when Christ first invited you into the family? This is a really important question for you to answer. Like, what was it about you that made you uh, 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 worthy of an invitation into the family of God? Was it that you had particular gifts and abilities? A speaker or so stellar, a servant or so stellar in your holiness that the kingdom of God just could not go on unless you were invited? Well, this is where we ought to turn to Scripture. In Ephesians 2, Paul tells us what kind of guest we were. What kind of guest were we? All of us, every single one of us. What were we? Enemies. We were enemies who were invited into the kingdom of God. That's, that was our guest list status. There was no friends list. There was no automatically in list. It was all enemies. And usually, how do enemies approach a circumstance into which they're invited? Kind of hostile. Now, some of you are maybe like me, and you were real hostile. You were maybe even a, a radical anti-theist, as I like to call myself, and my thoroughly postmodern self. And you may say, well, what does that mean? And I would look at you and say, who knows? And I would be somehow consistent, as it were. And some of you approach hostile as the older brother from the part of the parable, which is the prodigal son. You are mad because you didn't get invited sooner. You're mad because you, you didn't get specifically recognized over the radical anti-theists who were over there tearing stuff up and causing problems. You were an enemy on that list just as I was and all of my like. And so it's critical that we recognize that's true because that is going to frame out what Paul's going to tell us to do in verse 7. But it really frames out what he tells us to do in verse 1. Which is, I would argue, one of the most startling passages in all of Romans, and I suspect it's why he saved it till now. If you pay close attention, what Paul's been doing is brilliantly, brick by brick, making his argument until he arrives at this moment to really drop the needle on the record. He says this, we who are strong. Now, if you look through Romans, where has Paul associated himself with them in this way? Not very often. And in 14, he does not associate himself with strong or weak. Remember, this is dangerous language, especially with a group of people who want a reason to divide. They want a, a manner and means of which to say, I am more beloved of God than they are, just like us. So it's dangerous what he's doing here, which is why what he's doing is so masterful. Because he just put himself in the same dock to which he is commending them. And he's, if you go back and look at Romans, it's what he's been doing. He has been slowly and patiently and kindly dealing with carrying their weakness. And applying groups. Remember, we're talking about Gentiles and Jewish Christians. And he has so patiently and kindly taken and shown them. Remember what he said in chapter 9. I, if it were up to me, I would give up my salvation so that others would come to know Christ. I would endure the fires of hell if it meant that some of my own would know Jesus. 
kind of heart is that, the strength it takes to say something like that and then live it out knowing that he can't be the sacrifice, only Christ could. And so he says, we who are strong have an obligation. Now, not opportunity. I like to use the word opportunity because it just, you know, doesn't feel quite so uh, clamping down on you. He says obligation. I've got to use his word, not mine. Now, if, you, if you're strong, which, by the way, remember the definition of strong in this case is that you are free in Christ. And that you recognize that you can, you can eat anything you want. Bacon, shrimp, etc. And you can, you can drink if you want. But again, there's banks of the river within moderation. Should we be so filled with the spirits of this world that we fail to hear and act in the spirit? No. No, that's clear. That's a bank of the river. But should we, as Ecclesiastes tells us to do, commands us to do, take joy in the food and the drink that the Lord provides? Amen and amen. But what Paul is saying here is we who are strong, we who understand that we are free in Christ, right? That we, we understand the gospel, which you may say, that's kind of an arrogant thing to say. No, we, we should be able to declare that we understand the gospel and that we are free in Christ. But we should also have banks of the river to what those realities look like in real time. This is one of those banks. If you are free in Christ, if you know Christ is Savior, you have an obligation. That means to whom much is given, much is required. You have an obligation, and in the language, he just increases it from what he said in 14. To bear with... Now, in the Greek, it's not, it doesn't mean what, what it sounds like to us, which means you have to kind of put up with, or you have to kind of tolerate, or you have to, you know, uh, be, you just have to, you have to endure. No, no, no. This is an active word, an active command that means to carry. So we have an obligation. It is our responsibility to carry what? The failings. The, the, I'm sorry, what? And here's where you're hoping there's another Greek translation. <laughs> but there's not, I'm sorry. And notice how he's, we, can't, we have to bear with those failings uh, in a hospitable way. We have to welcome these folks and, and, and carry, walk with, uh, so exemplify freedom in Christ in a way that is not obnoxious. That's one bank of the river, by the way. Some of us bear our freedom in Christ obnoxiously, and that's not okay at all. The gospel is its own offense. The fact that Christ says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, that's the most offensive statement that's ever been uttered in history. It's just some people understand how offensive it is and some don't. And so, so we need not be obnoxious with it, but, but we, we who are free in Christ, we have to use that strength to carry the failings of the weak. So that means, now hear me out, that means others who claim to be Christian and add an identity to that Christianity. Now, remember what I've said in weeks past. If something is clearly sinful, if something is clearly against God's law, we have to deal with that over time. 
But there are some things that are a little more in the secondhand issue phase, which some of us have moralized and think are firsthand issues. But if you're wondering which of these is which, well, try just doing this first and then see what happens. So who might some of these folks be? Well, I'll start with one that's not my favorite. Christian nationalists. They think that in order to express our Christianity, we have to have a particular plot of dirt somewhere on this globe that is ours and that we defend come hell or high water. And that we do so in a way that sometimes negates, if not oftentimes negates, much of Scripture. Let me just say, I'm a red-blooded American. I am glad to be in this country. If you're thinking, Cameron, why don't you just move to Iran with all that goofy talk? I hear you. Uh, and I'm not, against, I'm, I'm not against us defending things, right? But we have a way in which we are called to do that that is like Christ, not like the 1776ers. I'm glad they did what they did in some ways. But to suggest that we only could get here through one way is to suggest that God is limited in how he moves in history and how he blesses the faithfulness of his people. You can't do it. Right? So, so what does that mean for me? Does that mean i got to start inviting Christian nationalists to my house and be nice to them because they are carrying this insane burden that, that makes them think they are citizens of this world and not citizens of a far over, don't automatically think that I think you're a Christian nationalist. <laughs> but if you are, i got to be nice to you. Right? Because there's some ways in which being a Christian nationalist is, leads to a lack of hope if you're looking around. It can really lead you into some dark places. It can cause you to hate the image born of another human being that disagrees with you. This says you cannot do that. If you are free in Christ, you can't hate the image born in another human being. All right, let me pick another one out of the hat since we're off to a galloping start. How about somebody who says, I'm a Christian, but I'm struggling with my sexuality? I don't struggle with my sexuality, I'm free in Christ. I know what it is. I love my wife. I obey the scripture. I take joy in the wife of my youth. I think that is good. I think that is biblical. But there are some other folks who've got some, some things going on that I don't know how to explain. And I surely don't think that me being mean to them is going to help them get there, necessarily. Now, I, now, I want to be clear. I'm talking about someone who's struggling. Someone who's decided, that might be a different circumstance. It might be a different conversation, depending on the circumstance. But should I, because they are struggling, and struggling in ways that run the gamut, that I won't get into here because we have children in the service, but should I tell them to go find a port in a different harbor without offering them what does it look like to be free in Christ and to be able to celebrate one's sexuality not as political, not as divisionary, but within the context of the unity of the body of Christ as bride of Christ. Is that easy? No. No, it's not. I could pick more, but I think it's quiet enough in here already and we should probably move on. But if you have questions about other identities that get slapped onto 
our Christianity, which by the way, Christianity is not to be modified by anything else. You do understand this, correct? Like if you're not, if we're not decided on that, we're having the wrong, we're not even talking in the same plane. So if you think you can modify your Christianity, if anything else gets to decide how you are to behave in Christ other than Christ and God's word itself, you're in trouble, even for the best of intentions. And so this is what is being said here. That we must bear with the failings of the weak. Anyone who takes and limits the gospel or limits their freedom in the gospel. And he goes on, and you're to do that not for your brand. This is not for you to go on house the other night. He's pro-Michigan. I'm not. Uh, but I bear with his failings, his weakness. They're never going to win a national championship in our lifetime. But I love him. And uh, you know what? I didn't do it for me. I did it for him. Is that how we should do that? No. And Joe said it. <laughs> Even though he's like, eh, free meal and stuff, I'll endure anything. But you see what I'm saying? Like, here's where it gets weird in our culture in particular. You don't need to make a video about it. You know, hey guys, just uh, want to share with you all my humility. It's just astonishing. It's got me so broken right now. I just, you know, I'm going to have to put my tears in a blender. It's crazy. I don't know. <laughs> Those of you who know, know what I just said. Uh, and so I, you can't do it for you. This ain't about you. This, ain't, this isn't even for sermon illustrations. This is a, you got to be careful with this. you got to steward this well. Who likes to be a project? See, this is why it's important that really what Paul's saying, do you understand what Paul's actually saying? He's saying if you're wondering who's weak and who's strong, then treat everybody the same. Just treat them all with hospitality. And if something comes up, if there's a burden that needs to be carried, it be the first to carry. That's your carry permit. And so it's important that we recognize it's not for us to be trying to distinguish who's what. Right? That's what that, you would miss what's being said here. That's, that's what's so subversive about what Paul's doing here. Is he's making them try to, to wonder, wait a minute, if he tells us we're united in all these things, why would we suddenly be divided over here? That can't both be true. So I think that's my granddaughter, is it not? Yeah, I know that little squeak. And so, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> just had to happen. And so, it's very important that we recognize that he's not doing that. And, and he's pushing them to try to think and, and realize, wait a minute, the only way you can apply this and not be divided is not go around declaring what you are in terms of strong and weak. You just be hospitable. And if it comes up, if something comes up where someone's uh, uh, looking at their Christianity with less than freedom or trying to add some identity to it, well, now you have the obligation to bear with, to carry that failing. How do we normally treat failings in Christians? Well, sometimes we do all right, and sometimes we don't. And we would do well to kind of think through this because we get to play the long game. Think of how freeing it is to not feel like you've got to police everybody and their views. Think about how freeing it is to, to, to be able to just, in, in essence, love people in the gospel first and then earn the right to be heard and be able to work through something that's not always a fight. How many of you have enjoyed how contentious our culture has become in the last decade? How many of you have to divide over? 
When's the next pandemic? When's the next something we've got to wear that, that we didn't want to wear? So we can, we can flex and show how divided we are. And so, this is a heavy word, is it not? And yet, its burden, because it's in Christ, is lighter than the alternative. You understand? Doesn't mean that it doesn't have weight to it. Yes, it is to use an Old Testament word, kavod. It is very heavy. But because it's born in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit as one forgiven and able to come boldly before the throne of grace to receive what you need in a time of trouble, both mercy and grace, it is lighter than constantly being at war and divided. He goes on. Let each of us Please his neighbor. So he's gone on from the carrying of the burden to, to now you are to look for ways in which to bless your neighbor in your hospitality. Which means you would have to have some knowledge of who they are and the things that would be a blessing to them. And ways in which you can build them up in Christ instead of constantly pointing out where they are weak. Notice he says, you do this for their good. Well, what is an actual good within the Christian frame, if not building up and being edified to look more like Jesus? What greater good could there be for, than for us to encourage fruits in keeping with repentance? What greater good could there be for us to encourage each other in the fruit of the Spirit, both by its display and its encouragement? The world would be a better place for these things. It says, for Christ did not please himself. So he's saying, I'm telling you this because Christ has already done this for you. And he goes on to quote, but as it is written, he quotes Psalm 69, 9, the second half. But see, he's assuming that you would know Psalm 69, 9 well enough to know what the first half says. So before I'm going to read what it says, I'm going to tell you what he left out. It says, for the zeal of your house has consumed me. So the psalmist is speaking of God. And this is Psalm 69, if you're familiar, is a messianic psalm. It's got many quotations that show up in other places. In fact, Psalm 69.9 is quoted three or four other times in the New Testament. And then he goes on to say, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So he says, For the zeal of your house, God, I have borne those who would speak ill of you, God. And who else? What other reproaches has Christ? And this is astonishing. He not only took that which was reproached against God himself, but remember, he's the I have uttered against that same God. Remember the guest list. Nothing but enemies. All of us when we came in. And so here Christ stands between those things and accepts it all. Now, why does he quote this to us? He says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So you could apply this to all of the Old Testament. So the entire Old Testament is written to instruct us or teach us something. Now, Christ on the road to, to uh, when he was on the road to Emmaus, when he's revealing himself, uh, makes it very clear that everything points to him. And so we are being, the Old Testament instructs us 
in the failings of humanity, that's one of the reasons why it says long and arduous as it is to thoroughly lay the axe to the root of the tree of human effort. You can't read the Old Testament and not come away with, we've tried everything under the sun and everything has failed. Do you know that this morning in Germany, uh, they're having a sermon preached by ChatGPT. So even my job's in the dock. You all may say it's cheaper and easier to plug in what we want to hear, right? Did you understand what I just said biblically? Remember what Paul warned? That people will gather preachers who will say what they want them to say because they have itching ears. Is this not the height of that? To use AI, which by the way, as to four, is not yet sentient, if you know what that means. It doesn't have its own being. We control it. So it's not like ChatPT is preaching a sermon that wasn't inputted in some form or way, or at least prompted. And so, so we have been instructed by the Old Testament that there is no human effort that will result in salvation. And that we are in desperate need of a Savior. That even when we had a king, we couldn't get it right. Even when we had the covenant king, we couldn't get it right. Even when we were in exile because of the Lord's discipline, we couldn't get it right. Even when we returned to the promised land, rebuilt the temple, and got to try again, we didn't get it right. You know why I'm saying we? Because we are all sons and daughters of Adam. We are all enemies on the guest list. And so we are being instructed by these things that there is a God who loves us so deeply despite the profundity of our human failing. Despite the weaknesses that he has to carry from here into eternity. You understand that, right? Like, though we've been saved, and though we are perfected before the Lord our God in Christ's righteousness, Christ can us to convict us of sin and help us to exalt Jesus. We are not perfect yet, or perfected, or glorified, to use the biblical term. And so he says that this instruction, it ought to do something for us. And here's what it ought to do. That through endurance, well, what does that mean? Why would he have to say endurance? What does that seem to indicate that life between the now and the not yet is going to be like? Well, it's not going to be easy. We're not home yet. There is stuff for us to continue to endure, some of which include the failings of one another and our weakness, for which we are obligated to carry that burden for their good. So the word helps us to endure. How? Well, one of the things that I find so encouraging about the Old Testament is it is unadulterated in its view of humanity, right? It doesn't seem to paint a rosy picture of us at all. And then when we're left to our own devices, i.e. the book of Judges, everyone does what is right in their own eyes, which is interesting for my, my brothers that, and sisters that are Christian anarchists. You just let me do what I want to do and everything will work out good. Just don't cross my property line so I'll shoot you in the face. Right? So... so it's not going to work. It, it, it presumes that humanity has the capacity that if given everything they need, they'd be satisfied. Where has that happened? 
The Old Testament is deeply encouraging that though we would complain and, and, and want to wander in the wilderness, and in fact want to be returned to slavery, that we would prefer slavery in Egypt over freedom in the wilderness to worship the Lord our God, who feeds us, that he would still love us. In fact, one of the Psalms, Psalm 78, makes it very clear that his anger was stirred against them. They were complaining, and his anger was stirred, and yet he opened up the sky and rained down manna from heaven. They got to eat the bread of angels. They got tired of it like we all do, right? And they complained, and so he brought them some quail. They got tired of that too, and before the meat was even out of their teeth, he, had, he, he, he disciplined a few of them, a few, maybe a thousand of them. And so, left to our own devices, I'm encouraged that the Lord continues to bear with us at all. I'm encouraged that that, that Jesus came. What was he coming to? Was was there any indication that this project would work? Unless, Unless it was all based on him and him alone. We should be deeply encouraged to endure because... The, the failings of the church at current, as we talk about General Assembly next, it, just so you know, it won't be a big hug session. In fact, one of the reasons I'm not going, I'm going to be quite honest with you, is I just needed a break from all the fighting. I'm weary of it. And I can't turn a blind eye if I'm there, right? Like, I can't go hide in the exhibit hall the entire time. These are supposed to be Christian leaders, and we can't get along. Here's what's weird. Praise God. Because if we could, we'd start patting each other on the back. We'd call it the new heavens and the new earth, and we wouldn't need Jesus to come back. Now, I'm not happy about it either, by the way. I'm saying praise God in the sense that I have the hope to endure. I can endure because I know that the Lord is good. And he goes on to say, not just endure. So, so that would be, eh, you know, you got to endure. He goes on, and through the encouragement of the Scripture. So it's not just about enduring. It is also that we would be encouraged about God's love for us as historically displayed from Genesis to Revelation. And that that encouragement and endurance would lead us to hope, that we might have hope. Because as I look around this world, there ain't no Superman coming. Right? Right? Because if, if we knew Superman was coming, we'd figure out how to get some kryptonite and ruin him. Just like we do everything else. And so, and so, we need a hope that is grounded and founded on something that is unchanging and true and beautiful and graceful and merciful as the Lord our God is. And then notice as, as we do this, as we receive this from Scripture, so this is, in, this is an important hermeneutic for us And you and your devotions, if you're reading scripture and you're not finding yourself able to better endure and are not encouraged to hope, well, you need to find out why. Maybe you're reading it with, with the wrong lenses. Maybe you have bad expectations. Maybe your heart is just dark and you need to repent. Maybe you're just reading the wrong book in the wrong season. There are seasons to this, by the way. I don't think numbers is for every month. But he goes on to say, he says, may the, may, as a result of this, may the God of endurance and encouragement. Did you hear that? So he's saying the scripture should produce what God is. Scripture should produce his character in us. 
Has God not endured a lot from us? Does God not endure our singing this morning? I mean, did, did, did we break out in praise in here or not? Not. Not that first song. I'm with you. You may be thinking, well, God, it's kind of, it's kind of a dirge, man. Let's, you know, you want us to get peppy. You've got to come clean. Truth that, that God brings new life. We, it's about our preference all of a sudden. Come ye sinners. Yeah, I did a little better on that. A little more pep in the room. But, but did, we, did we impress God this morning? Have we, are we impressing him with our attentiveness? Are we impressing him with our attendance? What is, it we, what is it we're doing other than we have been invited, weary and bedraggled though we are? Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded by the fall. Because you are beloved in Christ, you get to receive regardless of your efforts this morning. Amen. That the God of endurance puts up with folk like us. He's not just the God of endurance, though. He's also the God of encouragement. And he would say to us, you're not left this way. You actually can, were you willing to submit yourself to the worship of the Lord our God and recognize that he is present with us and that the Lord's Day Sabbath is a ceasefire, not a day on which we are to fight with one another, but we get to practice the reconciliation that is to come. You can actually grow in that. Trust me. I know because I have tasted and seen of the Lord's goodness in this regard. I don't just love coming to worship because I get to speak. You got to understand that's probably the hardest part, right? To try to try to compete with babies in the service. You just can't do it. The cuteness factor is just absolutely, you can't do it. I see it and I ain't mad at you. If I were sitting behind him, I'd do the same. But be careful that you don't assume you've heard it all before, that you don't need any of it, and that you don't have to participate because that's an inhospitality, not just to the people around you. It is inhospitable to the Lord our God who called us here this morning and gathered us because we're, you're alive. Who have you decided, man, I'm going to wake up alive on Sunday. I don't care what y'all do. I'm going to be alive. You were guessing if you said that. You didn't command it. And so it, it, it's critical that we recognize that the Lord is seeking not only for us to endure, but to, to be encouraged because that's who he is. And this is his gift to us. This is what he will grant to us because we cannot produce this by ourselves. You know how I know? See my comments on General Assembly. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who am I listening to right now? Ah. Bailed his dad out. Plus, it's a ceasefire. I can't even get mad at you today. I have to wait till Monday. And so, so notice, we, we have no harmony that we can decide on. We have a harmony that is gift from God because we were obedient to Him. 
in seeking to build one another up. This is critical. If we want church harmony, if we care about the condition of the church for the life of the world and God's glory, we got to do this. Not draw swords. Not, not tell people we know more than they do. Not be arrogant, but be humble. And, and, and be willing to welcome, be hospitable. This would change us. This is the only way. And he says, therefore, because of all that being true, you are to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Let me refer back to our very first question. How is it that Christ welcomed you? He welcomed you not with a thimble full of his blood. He welcomed you not with just a crumb of bread, even though that's what we're going to do here in just a few minutes. He welcomed you with an entire banquet, all of the heavenly blessings at one time. For us to discover and enjoy in this life and even greater in the next. And so if that's how Christ welcomed us when we were enemies, what then is our responsibility in our strength, in our union, in our freedom with Christ? Listen to what Charles Hodge says about this. He says, The character and conduct of Jesus Christ are at once the most perfect model of excellence and the most persuasive motive to obedience. The dignity of his person, the greatness of his condescension, the severity of his sufferings, the fervor of his love towards us all combine to render his example effective in humbling us in our view of our shortcomings and in exciting us to walk even as he walked. So let me ask you, who in your spheres of influence could use your support through hospitality in helping them grow in Christ for the glory of God? Who could use a word of encouragement? Who is lonely? Who is struggling? Who would benefit from being in your presence and being prayed for and with? Being shown an example of one who is free and joyful in Christ. From one having a meal cooked for him that evidences you, that your hospitality says to them, you are welcome here. And what a gift that on the morning that we get to hear all that, we get to come to the table, which is that same invitation that says, if you are in Christ, strong or weak, struggling or decided, you are welcome here. You're not welcome here if you are not a believer, because this is a table to nourish the faith that has already begun in you. You are also not welcome at this table if you think it is your ability to decide who is outside of the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you hold unforgiveness and hatred towards someone that you're not in, willing to give up or, or repent of in some form or fashion, then you've got to hold off. But if you are in the process of trying to figure that out, if you are struggling toward Christ with your burdens so that he might carry them for you, you need the nourishment of this table. We are all invited who are in Christ 
and recognize the, the need to grow further in him. And so, as you receive the bread and the cup this morning, you want to meditate on how you were invited and then how you can become part of the host party that invites others in various ways. And remember what it was that he said to his disciples. So interesting to me that he would choose a story form sacrament, as it were. Uh, think about how much we fought over this table with so little to go on. Um, other than he just said, hey, bread and wine. We fight over the substance. We fight over the, 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 how often. We fight over all kind of stuff. It'd be better if we just fought toward each other in some form or fashion and sought to live out what the table's about instead of thinking it's magic in and of itself. But there is something that does happen in this table is that the Holy Spirit brings us spiritually in spiritual presence before the very throne of grace to receive what we need. And remember, if you don't know what to say, Maybe you're exhausted. Maybe you're struggling to endure. He does. Romans 8. So remember the, the words that, that Christ spoke as it was the dark night on which he would spend his last meal with them before he would suffer in ways that we can't even begin to comprehend in his humanity. And he grabbed bread and he broke it. He said, this, this is my body given for you as gift. And he invited them to take and eat so that they would recognize that the totality of their shame and guilt and the wrath of God toward their sin would be satisfied by his body, his sacrifice. And then as the meal went on, he reached over and he took the cup and he raised it up. And he says, this, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Did power flowing through them so that they could become ambassadors of the reconciliation that he had purchased for them. And for us all. And so, if the elders would go ahead and come forward who are helping to serve, let us recognize that as we hold, we will take and eat together as family. That's an act of hospitality that we would wait on each other, as Paul calls us to in Corinthians. That we would be cognizant of the, the body of Christ, each other, that is, not just ourselves, right? One of the mistakes we make is we think this is just a time that we just focus on ourselves. Yes. You must consider yourself, but also consider those around you. This is an opportunity to recognize maybe someone who does need encouragement. And so, we will take and eat together as family. Um, if you need uh, the gluten-free, take the one with the, there's a wafer on top. Everybody gets that one the same. That's got the juice in it. And if you would like, you can also take the bread as well that has been made. But we will take and eat together as family. Let's pray. Father. <clears throat> You are so gracious to have a guest list that only has enemies on it. That you would welcome us first with, with us having no means of repaying you or even bringing anything to the meal that was of use at all. And yet you were lavish in your invitation. Your grace is more than sufficient. You have granted us access to all the heavenly blessings in and through the person and work of Christ. Thank you that he is host. As we dine together as family, Lord, would you help us grow in strength, not for ourselves, not for our own brand, but so that we could actually carry the burdens and the failings of the weak and to actually build each other up for the life of the world. Would you grant us, through our obedient move toward each other in hospitality, would you grant us a Holy Spirit-filled harmony that is attractive, that calls other people into the family of God, that calls us further up and further in 
to the truth of the gospel. God, would you nourish us in these meager elements that you transform, you transfigure into something that nourishes our faith deep and wide. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this reminder. Help us remember. In Christ's name, amen.